The following program is an artistic work of fiction and falsehood. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the broadcasters or the management thereof. Listener discretion is advised. I'm glad you're here. I'm lead media disruption developer Kai Hubris, and this is Eureka Cast Now, where we discuss the latest optimizations, innovations, and disruptions in science and also technology. With me, as always, is Professor Rowan Meadowlark, my esteemed colleague from the Simon Amy Institute of Spirit Science. Hey there, Rowan. Hello, and positive frequencies to all of my fellow fifth-level beings in the audience this evening. Uh, yeah, all, to all you fifth-level beings, we see you and we appreciate you. Absolutely. And, and you know, that's the thing about being at, at, at a higher frequency right. is that it's so rare to be recognized. But, uh, but Kai, you recognize them. I, I recognize, recognize them. them. I see them. And they are valid. And, and it's important to spread that message. Right. I mean, they worked so hard. They got so far. And, I mean— Fifth level, that's when you get a lot of the really great um really great perks. You get some new abilities and spells. I'm not sure I follow. Oh, uh, it it just forget about it. Um, but to start off the show today, I think it's important that we talk about well, it's not necessarily a holiday, is it? But it is important nonetheless. And it's certainly something that all the citizen scientists out there need to pay attention to. You may not be doing science for an institution or an organization or you know, a, a school, a university, a, a business. Um, you're doing science for yourself. But because we see you, because we appreciate you, and because you are still doing science, you sometimes have to declare some of that science you do. And that's why we want to we maybe give you a few tips on, uh, on what you may have to do um, now that it's tax day, now that tax day is, is, is come and pass. Well, um, I certainly do not have any tips, Kai. I, I only have gripes, uh, primarily. Really? Absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, these are still tips. These are still insights into what scientists have to do during this uh, this time of year. Well, I'll say this much. Be prepared for a fight on what you— <laughs> A fight? Be prepared for a fight from the IRS— Depending on what you classify as business expense, even really? if it would accurately be considered such, I use mm-hmm. a number of crystals, and mm-hmm. of course, uh, in 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 my in your this, work in, in your my study. work in my study in the in the science that I'm pursuing. If in and, lecture, sometimes you got to pass those crystals out, and they, meaning the government, the meaning government, the right. IRS, they refuse to classify my expenditures on crystals as business expenses, despite mm-hmm. the fact that I can clearly and definitively show that they are being used in a capacity with regards to my light working. It's really quite frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it, it sounds like, it sounds like you're using these you know, in a classroom setting. I mean, they could they could just come in one day and see, but they refuse to do that. I mean, they're they're probably just sending you sending you notes, uh, suspicious uh, interrogatory notes, without even ever coming down and seeing what you're doing with those crystals. I thought Very that faceless. I I was being uh, besmirched by the federal government 
when I had issues importing some ampules mm. from Europe. Right. I thought that was a nightmare. I thought that was truly the worst bureaucratic problem, the worst bureaucratic experience that I had ever had. But now this this takes the cake by far, absolutely. Right. I mean, that that's truly tragic to hear, Rowan. I mean, for all the citizen scientists out there, I... I, I hear you. I agree with you, Rowan. And I think we should take this take this all together as citizen scientists. This is what I this is what you should be doing. Is 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 if you're doing science with something, you know, it just makes sense to you. It makes sense to everybody. Declare whatever you're doing. Declare whatever you're doing your science on. Um, if you if you have to go to the store and you have to get several uh, several gallons of you know laboratory grade chemicals, declare that. Uh, if you if you have to buy another house, maybe you have to rent a rent an apartment or, or somewhere to or a shack perhaps or a shack to conduct your scientific research. That is a science expense. That is that is a quote unquote business expense that you can declare. You can write off on your taxes. And just be prepared to fight for it. Yeah. That's all. And and my my one uh, you know my one tip. I do I do want to include a tip in here. Oh okay. Though, is is now that the now that the government as we know is is there. They're recognizing more cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, they're, it's you know, Bitcoin is basically uh, is as legitimate as the is the dollar bill right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, don't get me started on the broken, the mm-hmm. Tech Brothers uh, premier cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say probably your best bet is to request, and you might have to call them up to do this, or you might have to fill out a form on, online. I'm not. I, I maybe I can send I can send citizen scientists that reach out to our email a link. Um, but request to get your tax return in cryptocurrency they they'll do it if you are if you, if you are insistent enough well that's uh, that's fascinating kai yeah, just I, a little tip for media oh well is that how you requested your uh your uh, um tax return uh yeah it's how it's how everybody at tech, uh, tech brothers does we get it straight straight into bitcoin so we can spend that on the on the the text box chapter on anything <laughs> On anything we want in the text box cha- chapter gamma store. Well, that's incredible, Kai. That that is. Um, I don't think I will opt for that, but it's good. You're going to be missing out because it's a, it's a really it's a really great investment. Well, it is interesting that we should be talking about financials in mm. our introduction because I think it's an excellent segue into my. Uh, story this evening, Ooh. and that is um, a little bit different. I have a Eureka Soapbox. Eureka Soapbox. Ooh. I do, I do. What, uh, what is that? Now, a Eureka Soapbox, of course, is the editorial segment of the show. Mm. And we, both of us, right. we attempt not to insert our opinion uh, quite as much as we could, hypothetically. Right. science, hypothetically, has absolutely no opinion. As does technology. Yes. But sometimes there's something worth commentating upon. And sometimes Uh I feel the need to commentate on something. Mm. And that is exactly the situation we find ourselves in right now. Because what I want to talk about is peer reviewers and the practice of peer reviewing. Right. A little bit behind a little bit behind the scenes for some of the citizen scientists. Perhaps, out there. perhaps. And and I do think that it is important that the listener or listeners understand how science 
works mm-hmm. I, the procedure of academia if you right. will the the, po- the the pomp and circumstance oh uh, you could call it that certainly um and one of the things that people say without truly understanding what it means especially with regards to evaluating studies right. is whether or not it's peer reviewed is this peer reviewed oh that's good is this not peer reviewed uh, you know there is a distinction exactly. there I mean, yeah, when you're looking through journals, it, you, most people, they don't even, they keep that box checked when they're looking for journals. They keep that peer review box checked, and they don't even, they don't even look at the stuff that's not peer reviewed. It's, it's very limiting in some senses. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But, but what the lay individual understands right. uh, is not what peer reviewing is. They, they as, as, sort of assume, I imagine, I am not a lay person. I have not been a lay person for most of my life. Right. But I would assume they believe that by having it peer reviewed, it is unequivocally, unequivocally uh, confirmed to be accurate. That right. there are individuals out there whose entire positions are peer reviewing and they are arbiters on what is truth. And by arbiting, that truth has been conveyed in the article. Right. That it must be true. I mean, they think it's they. Many people that I've talked to think it's like a machine. It goes into the machine as a, as you know, possibly good or bad, and it comes out. It comes out all good. Unfortunately, that is not the case. It, it, what 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 is not known right. is, frankly, that it is pay to play in the sense that with all of your peer reviewers, when you're being peer reviewed, mm-hmm. more often than not, you're going to be tipping them. And that is my Eureka soapboxer this evening, which is I say we need to end the practice of tipping our peer reviewers. Wow, T- you want to end the practice entirely? I do, and I understand. I'm not saying I don't. I'm not saying I don't dislike you know the practice of tipping but i mean it is certainly a very contra it's a very bold stance to take around and i understand that but you know individuals to have real substantive change right people must be bold people must be willing to say what needs to be said and yeah, i think in this instance it needs to be said you're disrupt you're looking to disrupt this industry well frankly i would not be so adamant about this opinion if it were not for the fact that I and my colleagues have personally been burnt, we've felt right. like we have been taken advantage of by the peer review system mm-hmm. because of these these exorbitant tips that we are forced to pay. Really? I've had articles, personal articles that I've written, right. go back for peer review three, four, five mm. times. Each time, there is a new fee and another tip on top of that. Unbelievable. I am already paying to submit to the journal, why should I be charged again to have it peer-reviewed? The money has been put down. What are they trying to attempt with this? Yeah, I mean, what... Why does it need to be peer-reviewed again? I mean, in in some ways, that's an indictment of the the first few people. Like, what, what... what are they not catching, you know? Where is my fee going towards to the journal, if not f- to the peer reviewer, the quality control, the typesetter, or whatever? Right. It's the, just they're trying to get they're trying to get a nickel and diming you. Absolutely. In particular, I do want to speak about um, one paper that was put together by a peer of mine. Mm-hmm. Incredibly in- intuitive innovation, groundbreaking work, and it mm-hmm. has gone through peer review eight separate times unbelievable it is incredibly um it's unconscionable and and, and that's a few months down just down the toilet it's the frequency analysis of vibes through application of lebowski transformations has been um in uh, uh peer review hell essentially right. for over a year at this point 
yeah, I mean, just think think about the innovations that paper could have led to if it just could get through that iron curtain. Of and 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 frankly, my 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 peer, who I will not name, believes that what this comes down to is the fact that the peer reviewers want a bigger tip than they're willing to provide, mm. and so it gets recirculated over right. and over and over. Yeah, again. I mean, they can't they can't necessarily you know spit in your spit on your paper. But they can send it back. Absolutely for revision. And and f- another point I would make with regards to tipping peer reviewers: uh-huh. What is it that I am tipping for right now? What is it that one tips for? They miss obvious errors. I've been embarrassed by flagrant spelling errors in works that have been published under my name because the peer reviewer did not do their due diligence to yeah. check to make sure that the spelling and grammar was correct. Yeah, you expect them to. They're they're barely even skimming at that point you expect to tip them for a for skimming for something that we all do to six or seven articles a day well it's 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 unbelievable it is absolutely unbelievable and then on top of everything else Mm -hmm. the things they catch the things they actually they actually catch they actually care about care about are 100 percent insignificant right at least in my experience Mm -hmm. at least in my experience i cannot speak for every peer reviewer or every peer reviewee Mm. but in my experience it's completely and utterly pointless it's nitpicking right i was recommended in a paper of mine to omit a full paragraph photonic treatment of dormant histrionics shining a light on my former girlfriends they wanted to pull a paragraph that was absolutely key to my thesis. And and, and really? that was the recommendation that I got back. And I sent it back to them. And I said, listen, mm-hmm. I did not get as far as I did to get this guff from you. Put it through. This is how it is. What did they say? They said that they didn't feel that the music taste of one of the test subjects was important. I said it was absolutely important. Yeah. I mean, this is, they're supposed to be, that's the thing, is that these are supposed to be peer reviewers. They're supposed to be people, you know, in the fields of research um, that the paper is on, taking this, like, reading through these and uh, testing their validity or, or, you know, making sure that they make sense and everything's up to snuff. But, you know, a lot of cases, they just pass it off to, you know, if it's an, if it's an anatomy paper, sometimes they pass it off to a biologist, doesn't make any sense. I know in specifically in my field, in my field of submitting, you know, papers in, in new media, they'll sometimes send uh, send uh, my papers to peer reviewers in in, you know, old media or 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 contemporary media. And I have to tell them I I like I get I get it back. I see the stamp that they put on the paper. I see the watermark that they include and I have to tell them I, I'm not going to pay for this. It's this is wrong. This is not my order. Well, on top of that, you know, it's not. It, it, it's it, it is it, on top of that. On top of that. On, on top, top of all of this. on top of all of this. Right. And I, tying into what you said, it is dishonest. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely dishonest. It's a dishonest practice. The whole peer reviewing sort of thing stinks to high heaven. I got a recommendation for revision that gave me a recommended tip amount next to a percentage. As really? one often sees, mm-hmm. there's, you know, 15, 18, 20 percent, and they give you the numerical value of what that tip would be. Right. I actually calculated it out, and the price that was next to 20 percent right. was actually 27 percent of the revision fee. Unbelievable. You know what, Rowan? 
I think you need to peer review this system they have going because the math doesn't check out. I, I am in the midst of peer reviewing it, and I say it is BS. Mm. Um, it is, and and and, and people who will peer come, reviews who peer reviews the peer reviewer. That's what I have. That, to say. That's an absolutely uh, wonderful question, and uh, frankly, I think with I know that. There is more to come, mm-hmm. so I want to wrap this up. But I will say, if it isn't obvious, uh-huh. if it is not obvious, we need to reevaluate the situation of peer reviewing and the tipping therein. It's time to give peer reviewers either minimum wage, give them a living wage, right? Or we're not saying underpay them. We're not saying we're not saying don't give them a, a living wage. We're just saying tipping does just it just doesn't make any sense. It's unfair, right? Or alternatively, right. Make it a volunteer system. Have people right. peer review for free. I don't see the latter occurring anytime soon, but mm-hmm. one could dream. One could dream of such a world. I mean, if, if, think about that. What if What if you got maybe a, a you know, a, a ticket or something and you had to do some, you know, community service? This is a great way to do some community service. Give back to the scientific community. That's an excellent point. I, I hope that one day... This isn't a discussion that needs to happen again. This mm. is not a Eureka soapbox that we will have to revisit this is, this is decades Eureka, down the line. This is a Eureka reflection that we look back on. Well, thank you very much for that, Rowan. That was very, uh, it was very passionate. I'd like to move on to my story today, and my story is a is another classic uh, uh, Eureka moment. Uh, something very cool in science that I came across, and I think a lot of a lot of the citizen scientists, especially those with. Uh, with uh, an eye towards the past, an eye towards history, and our closest, uh, one of our closest ancestors, uh, the Neanderthal, uh, might have heard of and might be very interested in learning more about. Oh, fascinating. And that is, um, we finally have, uh, paleontologists finally have some pretty conclusive proof based on, uh, based on some very recent fossils that Neanderthal feet are far superior to human feet in many ways. Well, that is a bold statement. That is a very, very bold statement. Right. I'm assuming you have you can qualify that uh, I a mean, little of, further. Of, of course, and our friends, our friends over at the uh, at uh, uh, in Spain can can certainly qualify it because I have a story straight from them. And I just do want to start off. I mean, I'm sure everybody is aware. There's been there's always intrigue on you know one of our closest Homo sapien, uh, one of our closest relatives, primate relatives, uh, you know, to us. Um, the Neanderthal, uh, I mean, goes. Some people are part Neanderthal, and they like to brag about that. I mean, it, it's certainly something that's talked about quite a bit. Oh, it's just such an interesting notion that there was a separate lineage of man, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there were more that have not been discussed in contemporary sort of right. understanding of uh, of uh, paleontology, rightly or wrongly. But right. it is always such a compelling thought. It's Yeah, it's, I mean, maybe someday we could see their feet. Um in such great detail. But there is new evidence that shows, specifically, that Neanderthal feet are quite, quite interesting based on a pair of adult Neanderthal footprints belonging to a man and a woman that were found, uh, that date back to nearly 100,000 years ago. They were found on a beach in Spain, and they give us the clearest picture um, of, uh, of the Neanderthal foot in intricate detail that we've ever seen. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, now it's been long known. I do want to qualify all of this. It's been long known that Neanderthal feet are are better for for certain things, um, based on other fossils that were found. They're better at long distance sprinting and are far more effective to balance. 
um, and this is largely due to their uh, to their quote delicate curvature and powerful structure. Mm. Um, but paleontologists do theorize that uh, there is sort of a, a general superiority uh, to the Neanderthal feet. Um, they just haven't found the right evidence for it. In fact, uh, uh, Dr. Guillermo Mier uh, from the uh, the University of uh, of Granada said the Neanderthal foot continues to confound modern science with its gentle and alluring shape. Um, they've had to, to settle with uh, with just sculptures and models, um, leaving a lot to the imagination. Now, this this individual sounds like he is very interested in this subject in the yeah. in the footprints of of uh, these ancient beings. I mean, yeah, yeah, right, a hundred percent. And in fact, you'll find that many paleontologists are very very interested in uh in discoveries in footprints because i mean um they tell us just so much about some about about a you know a specimen certainly certainly um so the discovery of these footprints were made by biologists and were not immediately identified as a neanderthal fossil until several weeks later they were reported as sort of unverified animal tracks but when dr mier and their team finally arrived to examine the prints it was immediately clear the importance of this site. As they said, we knew they were either the fossilized tracks of the gods themselves or the long-awaited Neanderthal footprint. Um, so on describing what was so spectacular about the, these samples uh, in particular, uh, Dr. Mier responded, the toes, sleek and captivating. The arches, with the delicate tenderness and sophistication, and, and of course, the heels. Indescribable beauty. Incredible. Yeah. He paints a vivid picture. As a paleontologist needs to. I mean, truly. Um, so soon, paleontologists from around the world arrived in droves to examine the feet. Team spent the next few days photographing the site extensively. Digital scans of every inch of the area were taken to create elaborate 3D renderings of every individual print. And and my understanding is that um, as exceptional as this sounds, truthfully, this is not a unentirely heard of uh, sort of thing to occur when interesting footprints are found, yeah, correct? Exactly. And I mean, obviously, given the detail and given the number of prints that, that were found and given, given the quality of the, of the prints, as you've heard, um, this is this is this is what you'd expect, um, so to speak, oh, from paleontologists. From paleo, oh, yeah, from paleontologists. Uh, according to Dr. Mier, again, the arrangement of the footprints shows obvious signs of uh, of reveling. Heels dug into sand, toes resting in, making perfect indentations. They moved around so carefully, so intentionally. They too were entranced by even their own feet. They knew what they were doing. They were showing off such beautiful specimen. So clearly, clearly, I mean, paleontologists, they... Passion. Passion, is truly. And not just Dr. Mier. Um, we also talked to Dr. Francisco Caldron, who described the tracks as having a shy longing. Um, and they said this, It is truly a gift from God to have these miraculous fossils. You can almost feel these fossils you can almost taste them one hopes to have such enthusiasm for any aspect of their life mm -hmm. as much as paleontologists have, have for yeah for, for feet for, for feet for footprints mm -hmm. um 
what it, it is almost a symphony to them. And I can respect that. I really they, can. They, they, I mean, you, you could see it in their eyes. You could see it in their, their pupils dilated. Uh, you know, just the slightest uh, trickle of saliva down the sides of their, the sides of their mouths. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that, Kai. Oh, you're welcome, of course. So uh, before we move to our mid-show station break, I have a reading from the Old oh. Souls Almanac, mm. which is a uh, book, a compendium of mm-hmm. quotes and stories, anecdotes, and sayings but, about all of the Old Souls introverts and right. deep thinkers yeah, and, that and, are out there unfortunately if you go to your library you will not find this in the science section you will find this in possibly the fiction section this would be in the self-help section actually mm. and f- frankly sometimes scientists should focus more on increasing their own self-wellness mm. their own personal awakening and happiness truly yes so i have a quote from Alton Brevlos, welfare spiritualist and new religion leader. And he says this, you think of yourselves as humans searching for a spiritual awakening when in fact you are a spiritual being attempting to cope with a flesh prison. Seeing yourselves from the perspective of the trapped spirit within will help you to remember why you came here and what you must be willing to do to be free wow now what religion was this man from again uh he was the founder of the brevlinites with that out of the way we have a short station break and then after that our special feature so please stay tuned stay tuned And we're back. We're back. And welcome welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Rowan. Welcome back, Kai. Uh, we, for the special feature tonight, I, I, I particularly like when, this one. Uh, it, it's something that is, again, some advice. I see. I think this show has is full of a lot of helpful advice, a lot of helpful information for your daily life out there, listeners. Certainly thought-provoking information, if not immediately applicable. Exactly. Um, and what we want to talk about tonight is, um, well... Uh, as we know, there are tons of ways, as I've talked about before in this show, there are tons, dozens of ways to uh, sort of preserve your presence or personality once uh, you've, as they say, shuffled off this mortal coil. There's an absolute glut of ways with which to do that, from the technological, perhaps right. on Kai's end, to the um, the actual to the and... <laughs> And, and crystal based uh crystals can be part of it certainly mm-hmm. but uh spirit science by its very nature is interested in the idea of leaving a presence or personality behind however however that is not what we are talking about this evening no because once once you have that i mean we that's the easy stuff that's the stuff we've been talking about for so long that's that's where all the funding is honestly but the question really is once you have that presence or personality, once you have that locked away, uh, stored away in maybe a hard drive somewhere, what do you do with or that crystal? Bo- sure. Um, what are you going to do with that body? What are you going to do with that the 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 hunk of meat 
and that becomes a, I mean, that becomes an ecological problem right there. One hundred percent, it is a. Uh, there are negative externalities that are associated with dying, mm-hmm. namely the corpus delicti, the the body itself. Right, and there's many ways to dispose of that body incorrectly and right. insustainably, but we're not talking about those. No. We are talking about solar punk burial. Right, that the is the way it should be. Dying sustainably. With the solar punk ethos in mind, dying, dying, and dying in the future, as we say. I mean, you, we have burials, we have cremations, we even have classic embalmings, and and all of these are in in many ways and in, in different ways bad for the environment. And well, there's got to be another way. Well, you look at cremation, and that is obviously spend, sending greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, right. as well as all sorts of other things that accumulate in your bones that are sort of volatilized in the cremation process. Mm-hmm. Uh, embalming of any sort involves poison. Embalming is the death and destruction of decomposing life forms. So right. what's that doing in the soil? You think about the runoff. What's that doing to the earthworms? Uh, I don't think they like it. The bulk of common methodologies for dealing with a dead body, with a past loved one, or perhaps even a pet, are incredibly, incredibly destructive to the environment, incredibly unsustainable, and frankly, not very solar punk at all. Yeah, not very solar punk at all. And that's why today we want to provide four different alternatives for the so the eco-conscious solar punk listening out there for what they can do uh, when they finally have to, or what maybe what their family can do, what they can set up for when they finally uh, no longer need their body anymore. And and the first one is is sort of tied to that to that burial aspect. Um, obviously, we talked about burials, and and the problem with burials is I think we all know it, like there's only so much space. Uh, cemeteries are getting larger and larger as we, as we go. I, I, I look outside every day. It seems like my cem- the cemetery in my backyard is getting bigger. And that takes up valuable sort of real estate presence exactly. for other things that could be built, like universities or meditation spaces. Exactly. Um, so if there was only a way to sort of uh, fit in the burial process, again, again, burials are not great because of that space issue. Among uh, other things. Right. Um, but I mean, they certainly would be a lot more solar punk if we can, if we can, you know, fix that problem. Um, and that's what a lot of companies now have looked into specifically plot sharing services or plot sharing applications. Plot sharing. Uh, Exactly. Plot sharing. I mean, we're sharing all, all kinds of things these days. We're sharing meals. We're sharing television shows. We're sharing rides, rides. We're sharing ourselves. Dogs. Uh, siblings, uh, step step siblings, etc. But um, but what I'm talking about is is plot sharing, sharing of burial plots. Uh, for those that do still want to be buried, think about it. You you hear you hear family plots. Um, you know where you and a family could generally be buried next to each other. You can be buried with uh, your your ancestors or relatives. Whatever sort of gesture that's supposed to mean. Ex- exactly, and I mean, my my biggest concern is that if if you really look at the numbers of that. If you look at any given burial plot, you'll see that eighty percent of that that it's empty space. What plot sharing applications want to do, want to ask is, is why don't we consolidate that? Why don't we, why don't we share those plots? Why don't we have have that sort of way to to condense uh, uh, things together? But but we uh, but we take away some of that empty space there. Sort of like a harm 
reduction strategy for individuals who insist on the classic embalmed burial instead mm. of having that spread out those toxins being leached into right. the ground spread out well, you put it all in one spot well i mean that i mean even if if you do get embalmed if you do even have a casket or anything you know and that, and that's the thing that's the other thing is you're not just saving space you're not just saving the environment you're saving a lot of money here, too. You can cut the price of the average funeral in half. Most caskets, if you choose to have a casket, they can easily fit two, three people in them. Not a problem. Uh, you know, and that's just the casket. There's also the plot. Uh, some of those can be expensive. The thing about plot-sharing applications is that they, they open up the option to have uh, to basically have people... Um, or governments or cities elect certain spots as micro cemeteries, small areas of parks, um, or you know, protected uh, environmental locations, or, or even people's backyards um, as, as small as five by five feet. They can be declared as micro cemeteries, <laughs> and then you just bury them. You bury any number of people at least 15 feet down to keep away from keep away vermins and things like that and and there you have it it truly is a very uh a very sustainable a very eco punk i am just going to say a very solar punk way to do it and and is there a uh, affiliation with this uh plot sharing and the micro cemeteries to applications or oh, some yeah. sort of other website or service oh yeah services like cryptic um sarcophagus and tomb saver they all do the work for you. They they locate your your nearest uh, your nearest micro cemetery. They link you with people that want to share your plot, and and the thing is too, the, I think the biggest problem with this is how do how do you know if you're just buried in somebody's backyard? How do you know that you're there at all? How do, how do how do people come to grieve? That's a great question. Well, they've solved that with fluorescent silt, hmm. a thin layer of fluorescent silt. Um, that you can simply scan. You can simply just scan over the ground. It's orange when you look at it, but it it's encoded with a, like a QR code. You can take a picture with your phone, and you can see exactly where they're buried and some information about them. It's also u useful if you have like you know developers or excavators. You know they just do a quick scan of the area to make sure nobody's under the ground, and, and they're free to build. Wow! It's easy. It's safe. It's convenient. Way better than burial. Why are we even burying people anymore, except for in this way? Well, I that's fascinating. That that really is. But to me, once again, it seems like harm reduction. Mm. Yeah. It seems like a way to be able to sort of take the negative things that people are already doing and minimize their impact. Right. I what I would like to bring up now is a complete and utter turn from that. Oh. A complete and utter alternative to putting an individual in the ground and that is of course uh the very opposite of a ground burial being a sky burial oh. which is an eastern traditional alternative to the western tradition so wait, which is not traditional wait rowan you're saying you're burying people in the sky how does that make any sense well well it's it's quite simple essentially sky burial is mm -hmm. the term that's used for when a body is left exposed to the elements and wildlife right. to allow gaia's children primarily vultures and carrion feeders to consume the body at their own pace mm -hmm. and then what's left over is bones and then those are just put away somewhere 
and essentially put away somewhere, just somewhere. Mm-hmm. And 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 generally speaking, uh, this is obviously this tends to work in a place that uh, has many vultures, buzzards, etc. Right. But if you're willing to be generous about your interpretation of what a sky is in the sky burial, mm-hmm. coyotes, raccoons, possums, they could suffice just as well. It, it, right. it reaches the same point, essentially. I mean, everywhere has its um, – it's, it's really a point of pride for, for every locale around the earth is that they have their scavengers available to deal with exactly this. That's the thing is that you, know, you have animals that their job if, – if, God gave them a jo- job, and you're gonna. They they have solved or this gods. problem. Yes, they've solved this. Goddess. These animals are solving this problem for us. Why make it more complicated? Well, absolutely. And you know, this is the preferred burial method of sort of these Tibetan and Persian traditional sort of practices. These mystical mm-hmm. sort of deeply enmeshed with nature practices right. that we have lost in the West. It's very mystical. I can tell. And so that it's truly spiritual. The real question is, though, how is it done? How does how one, is it done? How does one do a sky burial? How do I do it here? How do how do I do this? Right? Well, there's a simple way and the easy way, if that makes sense. There are two. The, there are two. There. Are, wait, Rowan. There are two ways. One of them is the simple way. One of them is the easy way. Yes. The first way, the simple way, is to just be left on a hillside. You give it a few weeks, the local wildlife will have your body disposed of and recycled into nature. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely for free. No, but the, the, but no there, payment. There are issues. There are issues with that. There are zoning issues if you live in certain areas. Mm-hmm. There is the question of how much wildlife you have in your area. Right. Um. So many opt for the second method, which is granted a bit more dramatic, which is, of course, the Tower of Silence. A tower of silence? Yes. And this is the easy way. This is the easy way. What is a tower of silence? Well, uh, I mean, you've probably seen them walking around Chicago, perhaps in the Zoroastrian neighborhood, Mm. uh, Little Tehran, perhaps. Uh, yes, these these are the tall structures where a body will be placed, a deceased body, mm-hmm. on the roof for the birds to eat. And um, for many people, especially in urban centers, the urban deceased, uh, there are generally at least one or more towers of science, silence in the neighborhood, in local, in, in cities by and large. It's happening all around us. Absolutely, 100%. And so that is generally the easiest thing to do, to go to your local Tower of Silence and ask for a sky burial. But if you want to do it truly organic, if you want to do it truly with nature in mind, find a hillside. Find a hillside. Find find somewhere with uh, not, you know, lacks, uh, lacks environmental standards. But but for the benefit of the environment, let's say. Absolutely. Solar punk at all. That what you're saying is Rowan is that's the solar punk way to do it. At one hundred percent, excellent. There's nothing more punk than having a loved one eaten by buzzards, and there's nothing more solar than having that buzzard dung land in the valley mm-hmm. where it makes corn and wheat and rye and soy. My next one is, uh, and this is a popular one. Many people after they die, maybe. These these burial methods, they it it just seems like mitigating, you know, the risk. Your your body's dead. You got to do something with it. You got to get rid of it some some way somehow. So to get around this, people 
have, have started donating their bodies to science to make something of their death. Their death isn't just something that happens and they have, that they have to deal with. It's something that could be used to the benefit of, future, of the future society. Um, but the problem is, think about where your body is going to if you do donate it to science. It goes to the 1%. It goes to doctors. It goes to museums. It goes to white-collar laboratories. It goes to the military. It goes oh, you to, bet it goes it to the military. Goes to defense, defense industry individuals. They're going to make you into a into a test dummy for sure. I have it on uh, personal experience. I mm-hmm. had a great aunt that was used to test artillery cartridges. Unbelievable! She How? thought that she was donating her body to science, mm-hmm. and when I, because of course I was the only one to ask, mm-hmm. I asked, "What science is Doris being used for?" And they said. We strapped her to a chair, and we shot a howitzer at her, and I was shocked. I was flummoxed. I have a, I have a similar story about a, about a relative who was uh, who was, who donated their body to science, and they were used. Guess where they were used? Oh, I can't even imagine. They were used, I don't I don't want to say any brand names, but they were used in a major automotive uh, in a major automotive uh, company as a crash test dummy. That is hideous. That is absolutely hideous. And that is not the science that you want your no. body to be used for. It really no. isn't. Um, yeah, so it goes to... They don't care about your bodies. Their body is just one of a, a bunch of bodies. Don't you want your body to go to someone who is going to truly respect and love and appreciate it? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And that's why uh, you can donate your body directly to the transhumanist movement. Ooh, wow. So, And, and this comes... There's some history. This is new to me. There's some, Yeah, and there's some history behind this. Uh, you know, transhumanists, uh, people that who who work, who are citizen scientists, they're certainly one of the you know leading citizen science groups out there. Uh, uh, lead, leading DIY citizen science groups out there. They're certainly on the fringe of what would be considered sort of your 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 inner your inner science, right? You know, they're 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 sort of the the they're the, solar punks in their own regard. Exactly. Um, well, they do research on their bodies. They they they're trying to make their bodies better. They're trying to meld their bodies with technology and ultimately, you know, m- make themselves better versions of uh, of humans through modifications, through implants, through all sorts of things like that. They used to uh, to just to go scavenge local biomedical research centers or or even sometimes go to their local doctors or hospitals and, and sort of pick through the tissue bins. Um, and, and look for loose scraps that they can use in their research. Which is incredibly punk. It's so, yeah, it's really punk. Unfortunately, you know, again, we have uh, we have big government uh, recently making legislation that prohibits these actions as unsafe. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, you know, it's... it's, it's How are we supposed to have innovation if, in, if the government wants to make it illegal for individuals to get their access to flesh? To flesh with which to experiment with. Flesh that is not being used anymore. For, uh, that is going straight to the landfill for yeah, the exactly. pigs to eat. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's uh, unconscionable. Um, so the Coalition of Transhumanism, uh, of transhumanism um, has basically gone through a, a, a huge, long process and is finally uh, uh, is letting you donate directly to the movement itself um, so that bodies can be given directly to transhumanists around the world. And what what sort of work would one's body go towards oh, if you were to donate it to the transhumanists? Any any number of things. Uh, one of the major things that transhumanists like to do is 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 cybernetics. Sort of, you know, again, mixing 
the the body with uh, with technology with additional technology to make it better maybe to give you longer arms or uh, x-ray vision or to make you stronger in every capacity hmm. um but the thing is it's not just when you're when we're talking cybernetics we're not just talking metal parts we're not just talking computers you do need human parts too you do need bone fragments you do need skin samples you need all those sorts of things so in order, so in order to make these cybernetic adjustments uh you know you you need you need access to that sort of thing natural technologies as we call them bones muscles skins things like that wonderful wonderful um, of course there's testing too um before a transhumanist you know puts a powerful magnet in themselves they want to test it out on human flesh um to make sure that it's that you know everything's squared away everything's okay you want to test the, the limits of the human body. So, I mean, if you're used for any testing purposes, you might be saving somebody's life. Which And isn't that a good feeling? Absolutely. It's like organ donation, but punk or solar punk in this instance. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, organ donation, not very punk. Um, and then, of course, the last thing that the typically transhumanists need um, is they need to prime their implants. They need to get their implants used to, uh, you know, used to human skin, human conditions. Um, so sometimes they'll have to put it, they'll have to like put it into a skin, create like a skin graft for their implant and then sort of put that into their body, um, you know, prior to, uh, instead of just, you, they can't really just put a machine in there. Sometimes they'll even have to drain large amounts of their blood and then they need your blood to go into them. And And this is... What makes this so distinct mm -hmm. and so much more solar punk right. than your standard organ donation is that these are in, these are DIY individuals. These are individuals. They are deciding what your body is used for, uh, how it's used, and they're doing the best with it. They are artisans. They yes. are outsider artists. They are the true citizen scientists out there. They are using every part. Of your body and may it will it work every time no, no. but they're they are going to learn they are so learning. much yeah exactly uh fascinating fascinating one more mm -hmm. one more before we close the program tonight the special feature and i think this is the one at least personally that is exciting to me mm -hmm. because i truthfully and, and maybe this is a sign of my vanity maybe this is a sign of my my narcissism mm -hmm. but i often wonder and I think most people wonder, am I going to leave an impact? Am I hmm. going to leave anything behind me that future generations, perhaps aliens or newly evolved sentient creatures, will I leave anything behind that will be remembered? Mm -hmm. And while one cannot know if that will happen. No. One can stack the deck in your favor. And, right. and that is the fourth solar punk way with which to use your body after you die. And that is to fossilize yourself. Fascinating. It is incredible. We talked about we talked about fossils earlier on the show. They're incredibly important. If only there were more of them. And 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 you know the leaving aside the fossils of footprints that will you know titillate the archaeologists of future times, paleontologists of future times. Right. There is the immediate impact of your bones, and and so through the use of advanced 
rapid lithogenic techniques, a Ooh. human body can be quickly desiccated and preemptively mounted into a boulder for future entities to discover. This is a technology that is possible now. Right now. Today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the interesting part is, mm -hmm. is that it is 100% sustainable. 100% sustainable? Well, for one thing, you might be asking yourself, how mm -hmm. could this possibly be sustainable if there's going to be these boulders with people everywhere? And right. the answer to that is, it's very easy. There are many mines in the world that need to be filled in. So with these boulders, mm -hmm. these fossils that individuals can be placed into, they're helping to fill that in. They're helping – they're – like, you know, past oil mines that have uh, or dried up, uh, coal mines, uh, iron mines, like things that we don't use quite as much anymore. What you're saying is, is all these boulders are sort of going to be shoveled into those, fill them up. Make them nice and safe and sturdy. Absolutely, absolutely. That is the the idea. And not only does that help remediate the countryside, help mm -hmm. reclaim these areas of development of you know, uh, unhelpful, unhealthy development. Right. You are also once again stacking the deck to be remembered because if you're fossil mm. your own fossil is to be put in one of these mines it's already automatically protected it's automatically deeper in a place where it is more likely to be preserved over the eons mm. yeah it's truly amazing and what is more what is more solar punk than you know taking it to the man closing the mine and making it a, a nice place for birds and snakes to roam around in once more and all sorts of aquatic salamanders of course mm -hmm. but what's really fun about it mm -hmm. and and this is I, this is why i think this is going to be the way with which my body will be right disposed of you can choose your own pose really for when you're fossilized and that's, that's something right. i mean that's something we we see you know uh fossils of of uh, of, of prehistoric man all the time and dinosaurs and animals and things like that. They didn't necessarily get to choose how they were preserved. But with modern technology, you can. Right. So one could be fossilized, holding a loved one, perhaps, engaging in a sport or hobby, right. fighting, uh, perhaps even succeeding professionally, or maybe just a silly pose for fun. Right. These are all the ways in which you can be fossilized and keep that solar punk cred exactly. after you are gone. Exactly. It's it's sort of like a it's sort of like a portrait is what you're the modern day portrait is uh, how you are how you were preserved once you are fossilized. Absolutely. Um, and with that, I do believe it is time for a quick citizen science. Oh. Yeah, for all the citizen scientists out there, it's up to you which which one you, you choose. But just know, be, be solar punk. And choose wisely. Yes. So for the citizen science this evening, I think that you'll like this quite a bit, Kai. Oh. I think you'll find this quite interesting. Really? Absolutely. So this comes from an anonymous individual. Uh, I cannot okay. verify whether or not they have their check mark on Twitter, mm. but you can't verify whether they are deep within the Tech Brothers, uh, deep within the organization. No, I cannot either. Uh, 
most of the plants and trees in my area have no leaves or flowers. It looks like winter still. I don't see any bees either. I haven't seen one yet. Usually plant life is abundant in my area, but I haven't seen a single flower on most of the trees out here. I only saw a couple of trees that were slightly blooming, but the rest were sticks. This is very serious. It's not quote-unquote climate change I either. These past couple of years have been very weird with the plant life. My trees started to bloom last year with white flowers, and the next they were cinched on the tree's branches. It was very scary. I knew it was radiation poison that did that. The Guy 5 network is a threat to all living life. Um, I, I, do, I do question why it's not climate... Why... What evidence they have that it's not climate change? Well, you don't, have to, you don't, to, have, to, you don't have to prove a negative. <laughs> you could just declare, this is not climate change. I, I can declare that it is the Guy 5 network, as this individual does, and I believe mm. it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they have, they have such, such compelling evidence. There'll be more. I'll find more. Mm-hmm. I mean, worry. the other thing is, it could either be climate change, or it could be some sort of... They did describe it as scary, so it could be some sort of... Uh, some sort of bad person, some sort of monster who is cinching the trees. Perhaps. I'd like to close on a quote by Cormac Floor Marshall, a uh, a very famed uh, urine toxicologist, and they said this: "Sometimes the most startling results are the ones you expected." Eureka Cast Now is meticulously researched, produced, and presented with the support of Tech Brothers New Media Labs in Chicago, Illinois. We are broadcast every Saturday evening, 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WLPN LP 105.5 FM London Radio and rebroadcast every Monday from 8 to 9 p.m. CST on WIIT 88.9 FM Chicago. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please follow us at EurekaCast on Twitter and Instagram or visit our website at awcyfm.com slash EurekaCast to learn more and, and fill out your application to publish your, your research in the journal of citizen science rowan i think we have some other social media we do if you engage in such forms of social media please feel free to find us at facebook.com slash a w c y f m or send an electronic mail to a w c y f m at gmail.com where you can share with us any technological scientific or spiritual breakthroughs you've witnessed or participated in additionally if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the program feel free to reach out at that email which is once again awcyfm at gmail.com and with that chicago allow us here at eureka cast now to emit sweet winds of longing for when we shall meet again be careful i hear there are monsters out there <laughs>